Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Fightful Boxing Podcast. Now, I am your host, Carlos Toro, and normally you see me riding solo here. But this week, we got Joe! Joe, you ruined the surprise for those watching on the video side. Ladies and gentlemen, this week, I am joined by the one, the only, Fightful Feature writer extraordinaire, Joe Holbert. Joe, how are you doing, mate? I'm good, man. I appreciate it, mate. I appreciate it. Make you feel at home. I get it. Um, I'm good, man. I like this new role, like British correspondent thing, you know, like the official British correspondent. I appreciate it. I haven't got a lot of competition for it, but I appreciate it nonetheless. <laughs> well, yeah, listen, I wanted to get you on this show, especially for this week. Uh, for, for those of you that don't know, uh, who may be tuning into the podcast, but have not necessarily have any idea who you are uh tell us a little bit about yourself you've been one of the best pro wrestling feature writers in a long time and your work at fightful has always been extraordinary so uh tell us a little bit about yourself for those who may not know who the great joel holbert is well man i mean i can't really talk what you just give me there that was a pretty good intro sure. but basically yeah i write i mean boxing is like something i've cover. i've always covered boxing for fightful but you're the main boxing guy right so like I'll come, I'll come in with some features, but you've got that lockdown. But pro wrestling is my thing. So you probably have like seen some of my stuff on them and ignored it. But next time, click on it because it's normally like quite good, right? It's good normally, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, very, very good. I, I love I this. You recently did a thing on, on the Revival, the new Raw Tag Team Champions, yeah. and uh, very good stuff there. And you did a, another really good piece on Kurt Angle, I believe. So. Kurt Angle, yeah. And then they took him off TV straight away, so that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, listen. You've kind of told the it's such a good job that there's nothing else to showcase Kurt Angle for on TV. That's, that's the way I saw it. That's exactly how I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I brought you here today because there is a lot to talk about, and you and I on Twitter we've spoken a few times about British boxing, and and I thought, listen, I may have this British boxing thing on lockdown. After all, I spent one night in a in a hotel in London with the fugliest couch I have ever seen in my life while waiting for a flight from London to Philadelphia. So I, I think I've got this down. But you know what? Sometimes I like to get a local's perspective. I am a yeah. Puerto Rican. I am about, what, five, 6,000 miles away from the UK. So I thought maybe we maybe bringing in someone from across the pond would be would be a better idea. So I think there is no bigger story right now this week, not in just in British boxing, but in boxing in general. The shocking, and I do mean shocking, announcement that Tyson Fury, the lineal heavyweight champion of the world, signed a co-promotional deal with Top Rank and ESPN. And the deal calls for, it's a multi-year deal, first of all, and it calls for two fights in the United States. And I had to really kind of look at the, the language of the press conference to sort of make sure it's, it doesn't say, oh, his fights are going to be shown in the U.S., not that he's mm -hmm. fighting in the United States uh, twice, at minimum two times a year. But it, it this kind of seemed like Tyson Fury is fighting in the U.S. at least twice a year, according to the language of the press release. Yeah. So, first of all, Joe, from from that side on the U.K. side, what is your reaction to Tyson Fury 
making this landmark deal, which I've heard some rumors say a hundred million dollars. I I have not been able to confirm that, but it's one of the biggest contracts out there for a boxer today, at the very least. Well, it's interesting because over the last like year, two years, this whole comeback story, right, has changed Tyson Fury's perception, both on our side and your side. So the question now becomes, what's next after that fight? Where does he go from there? Historically in the UK, he was never a huge ticket seller anyway. He's a, he's a household name that isn't like someone who fights on, like Anthony Joshua can fight on pay-per-view against anyone. That was never Tyson Fury's thing. So I think there's a kind of a, a realisation that there's a spot in the marketplace for him in the US. The interesting thing is the figures you threw out, the question then becomes what flats are there available for him that will make that, that price worthwhile? That's the thing that interests me. You know, the Wilder rematch, okay, there's a lot of interest in, like, politics with that. What other fights are available? Yeah, I mean, you look at that top-ranked roster, and, of course, that doesn't mean that Tyson Fury is just strictly going to fight top-ranked fighters, but really the the only notable name that top rank currently has is Kubra Pulev. And while I may think he is deserving of a big fight because he was supposed to fight Joshua a couple years back, mm-hmm. but had to go down with, with, I believe, with an injury uh, like six, seven weeks before the fight. So he never really got the shot at a title. And he's still the mandatory challenger for Joshua's IBF title. But right now, the it's right now the whole worry about everyone from, uh, regarding this whole thing is the fact that Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder, which we all thought was going to happen on May 18th, was now certainly in jeopardy because now you're not just dealing with the negotiate uh, negotiations between the two fighters, but now you got Showtime representing Wilder and ESPN representing Tyson Fury now, and you know that's May 18 is not going to happen. Maybe June or July, but there's no way they're going to do May 18th now, especially with this twist. And it's a twist that Wilder nor Showtime, you know, talking about Stephen Espinosa, Shelley Finkel, Al Heyman, none of them knew about this. This literally completely caught everyone off guard. So now it's – do you think that this fight is in jeopardy? Because I think in in, in a way it kind of is, but I, it's still a little too soon to see whether or not the fight is happening or not. I think we're going to have to wait a little while longer. I think – in truth, the, the fact that they've put that money on the table, supposedly, we don't know the numbers, but like it sounds like a blockbuster deal, right? That suggests to me ESPN wants to make the world fight because that's the only fight in the US that's a real blockbuster pay-per-view fight. There's no other fights, as we just said then, Kubrat Pulev fight isn't like, it's not a big fight in anywhere, really, in truth. So I think there's, there's um, both sides want to make the fight, and usually if both sides want to make it enough, It'll get her eventually. It'll just be like you said. It'll probably be June, July, rather than May. Yeah, and it's and listen, and the thing is about this, I have no idea how they're even going to do that. I think that's the real, real disappointing part is that look, we're we're facing it's ESPN versus Showtime, and ESPN has shown with you know with contract extensions with Lomachenko, Top Rank itself, Terrence Crawford, that they really are trying to double down on boxing on the network. But the, but now you're encountering the problem is that if you're going to do a pay-per-view, who's going to be handling it? Like, you can't just... I mean, I, I suppose you can do like a, cop- uh, a deal where you can have both networks kind of yeah. show it, you know, on their respective side at the same time. They, they did that for Mayweather versus McGregor, like, you can, we'll fight, you can see the fight on Fight Pass, you can see the fight on Showtime, yeah. pay-per-view, but it's... Here's did, they the do thing. A joint, did they do a joint promotion? Sorry, man, but did they do a joint promotion for Pacquiao-Mayweather? Because I remember, was Manny with HBO back then? Yeah, 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 yeah. This was when yeah. Bob Aaron was still with ESP, uh, with HBO. HBO, and yeah. it, it was it was a joint thing. But let's remember that was a joint thing that was like almost a decade waiting to happen. So, <laughs> yeah. and I don't yeah. think any of us are willing to wait ten, uh, seven, eight years huh. for this fight to happen. It not at all. But here's the thing. It, 
And you mentioned, you know, the Mayweather-Pacquiao deal, and and hey, Joshua versus Klitschko. That was also, uh, well, uh, sort of HBO yeah. Showtime deal in the U.S. because HBO showed that fight on tape delay, and Showtime was the one that had the rights to air the fight live. And there was, and they even had a deal where if the two were going to have a rematch, and it looked like they were going to have a rematch before Klitschko retired, was that. It was going to be the other way around. Show, HBO was going to show the fight live, and then Showtime would get the rights to air the rematch on tape delay. But it, you can't do something like that for this fight. But yeah. given the fact that no one from the Wilder side knew anything about this, like you, and we're already about to start March, where there's only one week left in February. You and you're really not going to expect this fight on May 18th. There's just no way. There's no way to get this fight for May 18th and make a proper build. And even though some people will say, well, you don't need that much time to build a fight. Everybody loved the first fight. And so you just need to say, hey, it's Wilder versus Fury 2. That's enough. Well, I point to you, the Canelo versus Golovkin rematch, and how they essentially had that same attitude, saying, we don't need to do no press, no media, not, none of that stuff. The people are going to buy it anyway. And it turns out the buy rate was only was a little lower than the than the buy rates of the first fight. So, yeah, you do need a proper build. And ESPN is more than willing to do that. But the question is, will Showtime allow Wilder to go on ESPN and potentially lose out on a lot of money by balking at ESPN and essentially saying, all right, you can have Wilder for, for this fight. We, we give up. And I don't expect Showtime to act like that at all. I think it's very, I think it's very interesting that I wonder if Joshua hadn't moved on and booked the fight with Miller, which obviously we'll get to later, but would that have changed that whole thing? Would Tyson Fury then have said, or Deontay Wilder actually even have said, this do a June date at Wembley Stadium with Joshua? Now that whole thing would have changed, but obviously they'd already moved on. And now you've left with basically what you just said, two broadcasters that have to settle in the between in order to give their fighters a big fight, really. Because that's what the public wants, right? Fury, Wilder too. So I don't know. There's not many options, really. There is, and then... I course and I and I spoke and I wrote about this on the newsletter, which you can see on fightful.com, is that there is you can possibly do a purse bid and then essentially just have all right uh, have WBC president Mauricio Suleiman say, All right, it looks like you guys are not going to resolve this anytime soon. Let's just have a purse bid. Whoever has the most money uh, or is willing to dish out the most amount of money for this fight, they get the rights to the fight. That is the most direct way to do it, but when you're dealing with guy, when you're dealing with Bob Arum and Al Heyman and Shelly Finkel and Stephen Espinosa and all those people, it's I don't want to say it's as simple as that, but they know those are all guys that really want this fight and really hate to lose some a big event like this to pay per view because over here in the states, the fight, in my opinion, actually exceeded my expectations in terms of public interest. The buy rate was a little bit higher than I thought it was going to be. The fight ultimately ended up being, you know, really, really good and very dramatic, and it left people wanting more. But the way this whole twist came about, it just kind of leads to believe that it's just going to be another instance of, you know, boxing, you know, kind of putting his own foot in his mouth, trying to do too much. And now you got ESPN trying to get in the middle of things. I think this fight is going to happen because let's face it. There's so much money at at stake and there's really nothing else for Fury outside of a Joshua fight. And that's not going to happen anytime soon. So I think ultimately there's the amount of money both sides stand to make. I think they're going to eventually make the fight. I just don't think it's going to happen this spring. I think it's going to happen this summer. It also gives them proper time to sort of make a really good build for the fight, have a really have an outstanding U.S. press tour, and sort of wait until the whole Canelo Jacobs and Joshua Miller chaos in New York and in Vegas just kind of end, just so that you can focus on the big summer showdown between Wilder and Fury. It's chaos was the right word for the stuff going on in New York as well. But again, we'll leave, we'll leave that till later. But chaos was the right word for it. I mean, it's not just chaos in 
in New York, it's chaos in the WBL Super Middleweight rankings because almost right at the same time, it actually was at the same time because it was all announced in one press conference that Billy Joe Saunders, the, I guess now former mandatory challenger to the WBO middleweight title, just decided to move up in weight and announced that he is going to fight Shefat Isufi on April 13th at Wembley Arena for the vacant WBO Super Middleweight title. Now, for those of you watching, you may be wondering, so hold on, isn't Gilberto Ramirez the WBO Super Middleweight champion? Well, if you look at the rankings, it will appear that Gilberto Ramirez is the number one ranked fighter at 175 pounds in the WBO rankings, meaning he's a mandatory challenger or at least a you know, we we are led to believe that he is the mandatory challenger through Sergey Kovalev's title, which means the title is vacant. Billy Joe Saunders is ranked number two at 168 pounds now, and now the two are going to fight for the vacant title, which I got to say, that completely took me out of surprise, and, and we both talked about this off the air a couple of days ago, but it kind of does make business sense if you're Billy Joe Saunders and promoter Frank Warren. It does make business sense to try to go for that title, not just because you could become a two-way champion, which is always attractive, but also because it saves Frank Warren the headache from having to deal with Eddie Hearn for the foreseeable future. Well, that's, that's one part of it, but also just over, like, even simpler than that, in the ring, middleweight division is a tough go. No matter how good you are, when you're looking at Jacobs, Canelo, Golovkin, and Andrade, like that's they're just elite fighters. So if you can go up and I'm not educated on Billy Joe's upcoming opponent, I'm not sure how many people really are. But if you can go up and basically grab a title like that, that's the way to do it, right? So then, you know, that opens up a whole different world for him. He can still go back down. I don't think anyone's ever watched Billy Joe fight and thought, wow, he looks like a super middleweight. So that's I mean, whether it translates weight class wise, but he's a skill guy. So if he can go up keep his speed and beat guys that in a division that you'd say is weaker, right? Super Midway's a weaker division. That's the smart move. And as you say, the broadcasting part makes it even better. So it's, it's um, an unsurprisingly smart move from Mr. Warren. Unsurprisingly smart. And for those of you who don't, who don't know Mr. Shefat Isufi is, he's uh, a German boxer. Uh, he's, he's right now, he's a Serbian boxer that's right now st uh, living in Germany. 27-3-2 record as a pro. Uh, surprising factoid, he, in 2014, he lost a wide unanimous decision to Tassos Berdesis, who was making his pro debut. <laughs> okay, it's, this sounds like it's going to be a great fight, man. <laughs> really selling it. I hope Frank Rosita sells it like this. It'll be great. I mean, he is—he's coming off of a win of Mohamed El Achi, who is fourteen one and three, and then before that, Rafael Sosa Pintos, fifty six thirteen and zero, and then before that, Badri Karasalidze, eight and three. So, you got some names. <laughs> did, you, did you see? Um... Did you see Warren's like little sideshow, Anthony Joshua, where he was like, uh, April 13th was always going to have a big fight at Wembley, so we thought we'd step up to the plate. I was like, man, that is a, that's a reach. That's a reach right there. I mean, look, you gotta... It's Frank Warren. He will always try to take a dig at Eddie Hearn. I think he's still trying to get the sour taste out of his mouth. The fact that he actually had to agree to a co-promotional fight between Saunders and Demetrius Andrade for last October, which ultimately never happened for, yeah. for reasons that, uh, that I think we, that have been explored on this show a couple of times already. So no need to uh, retread old water, but I mean, yes, middleweight is, is almost strictly Eddie Hearn. One yeah. way or another, I mean, Canelo Alvarez is not involved with Eddie Hearn, but he's fighting on the zone, right. and the yeah. zone is affiliated with Eddie Hearn. So, and Canelo Alvarez's next fight is against an Eddie Hearn guy. So, you're gonna have to deal with Eddie Hearn if you want the big fight at middleweight. Even Golovkin, who is probably going to fight uh, sign with the zone, you're gonna have to deal with the zone and Eddie Hearn one way or another. Do you want to give Billy Joe Saunders the big fights? And quite frankly, I mean. It, 
makes sense for him to move up in weight because, you know, the title is literally just right there for the taking. The division is not as strong as middleweight. You got some good names. You got David Benavides, Avni Yildirim, Anthony Durrell, Caleb Plant, Caleb Truax, James DeGale. But quite frankly, I mean, those are not Canelo-level names. And I think those are much more winnable fights Definitely. For Billy Joe Saunders. Yeah. And, but but even then, you look at that super middleweight division, it's tough for Saunders to get a big fight because the WBC title is going to be, you know, it's going to crown a new champion this Saturday. But then after that, one would assume that David Benavides would be the next man in life because he's the champion in recess. Caleb Plant is the IBF champion, but uh, I, I would wager that he would prefer to have a title defense in Tennessee in his home state first before maybe go, going across the pond to fight Billy Joe Saunders if he were to win the WBO title. And then you got Callum Smith, who's an Eddie Hearn fighter. So that's a no-go there. <laughs> I don't think he looks like Callum Smith regardless of who promotes Callum Smith, to be honest. Man. That's a tough style match for him. But we'll see. Yeah, and, and not only that, actually, and... and the one thing about that that not a lot of people are talking about this whole Billy Joe moving up in weight, this may have unintended consequences in regards to getting out of Golovkin because Saunders was the number one guy at middleweight in the WBO, and then Golovkin was number two. So with Saunders moving up in weight, that means Golovkin would be moved up to the number one spot. And even though the WBO has yet to, as far as I'm aware, has yet to full uh make an order for andre to fight golovkin you would think that the logical step here would be for andre to fight golovkin because we yeah. golovkin is likely to sign with the zone although it's not a guarantee but he's more than likely to sign with the zone and i wouldn't be surprised if golovkin some part of him still wants a canelo alvarez rubber match regardless of what he says publicly there's a lot of money to be made and that is still a fantastic fight and we remember you know before all the canelo madness golovkin's aim goal was to become the undisputed middleweight champion so if he beats andre and canelo beats daniel jacobs there you go you already have the the undisputed middleweight title fight on the line because canelo would own three of the four belts and then golovkin would have the WBO title, and then you, there you have it. September. That's perfect. You've just done it. You've booked it. It's done. <laughs> That's it. Like, it could mini tournament. That's it. Yeah, it couldn't be much more simple than this. No. But the problem here is that in boxing, it is never that easy. And that's the problem. It's never this. Like, it's. It, it, the sport complicates itself to the point where they overthink things and it messes up everything. Like, yeah, yeah. I just, in, in the span of 30 seconds, I just I just laid down the groundwork for, to crown an undisputed middleweight champion. But will it actually happen? No, I think Golovkin will probably have to fight, like, number 11 in the rankings in a final eliminator first, just to, just to make sure he's a real contender, you know? We'll do that first. We'll get Andrade another mandatory challenge. It will, it will figure itself out. Give it time, man. Just be a patient. It will get there, trust me. We can't just I mean, do tournaments yeah. and stuff. It's too it's I too mean, let's... I mean, let's face it. Listen, I, I listen when he faced you know Bonis Martirosian last May. I mean, yeah, he knocked him out in, in two rounds. But was it really like a good? Was it really the kind of Golovkin that we would see that that can be a world champion? I don't know. No, I don't know. Find out for sure, man. Go find out for sure. Which, by the way, the number eleven ranked middleweight would be Luke Keeler. Luke Keeler. Oh, no. That would be on the zone. There you go. You got another fight. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe yeah, he's put, him, 11, put him on the undercard. Put him on the undercard. I think <laughs> that, that'll be fine. It'll be it's no, no problem. No, no problem whatsoever. So, Billy Joe Saunders, I, I got to admit, this, this really did kind of took me out of left field, but it, it makes sense. I hope so. I hope this means Golovkin joins the zone and fights Andre. Because that's a to the public. That's a really, really good fight. Because I like that fight a lot. I, really I, like, I like that fight too. It pushes Golov. It pushes Andre into a fight that isn't a thirty-six minutes news fed. And I like Andre. I think his skills are as, as a middleweight are exceptional. Top five yeah. middleweight in the world. 
But then you but then you look at the performance against Walter Kelton Dokwa and then his last fight against forget Arthur Akbar Arthur Akbar yeah. like and, and he boxed brilliantly but they were not, not they were really suited to like consistent showcase fights some guys are some guys are great to just watch run through like I shouldn't say nameless contenders but basically they're the A side this suit they're fighting Golovkin you can watch him do that all year round because he's so exciting I think that fight Andrade Golovkin is so interesting because you get the sense Andrade's got levels to go up within himself and Golovkin will make him do that because he's going to be on him the whole time that's a great fight actually stylistically that fight to me is like more fun than Canelo Jacobs even though I think both are great fights but like stylistically Andrade is like the traditional that's the guy that should be able to beat Golovkin kind of thing that's what everyone always used to say right the quick guy the slick guy that's an interesting fight I like that fight a lot but again we'll see if we get it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see if we get together. And, and I'll, well, one last thing about uh, Golovkin, uh, Andre, if that were to actually happen before yeah. we move on to other topics, is the fact that, you know, the thing about Andre is that he, he's such a brilliant boxer, but because he's never pushed to actually That's try brilliant. as artists, he doesn't he doesn't knock out people because he doesn't feel the need to. He, he He's more comfortable cruising to a wide unanimous decision, which... It's fine if that's what he wants. to fine, but don't expect people to get excited for your fights if mm-hmm. you dis- if you don't decide to knock people out. And he has power. He just chooses not yeah. to use it. It's been a problem for him for a, what like a long time now. That's why he sort of fell off because there was no promoters. I mean, let's be honest. Like, and I, I think he's a tremendous fighter, but he's kind of um, been a benefiter of Eddie Hearn needing fighters. Right, that's the truth. Eddie Hearn needs world class fighters. So he's willing to do them fights with Andrade that ain't going to sell tons of tickets that are not super exciting, but he needs world-class fighters, and he is that. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, hey, you want to talk about world-class fighters that, you know, that Eddie Hearn is is bringing in to fight his guys. Drell Miller fighting Anthony Joshua, that's going to be, that's official. It's the June 1 Madison Square Garden on the zone here in the U.S. Uh, Sky Sports Box Office, I believe, over there in the U.K. And I'm probably going to go to New York to watch that because that is a big, big event. And really, I was kind of debating between Wilder and Fury or Joshua Miller, but since we don't know if Wilder Fury is going to happen, then we might as well, then I might as well go to Joshua Miller because that fight's already happening. Now, I like this fight, and we'll get to the actual, you know, matchup, styles matchup between yeah. the two, but my God, and I know you were watching this press conference, I mean, if you want to call it that, but, oh my God, it was, it was, it, it, for those of you who don't, have not seen the Anthony Joshua versus Jarrell Miller press conference from a couple of, I think it was, I don't remember what, no, a couple of days ago, hmm. was it? Well, it was I don't remember what Yesterday, oh god, it's I've been so busy writing the newsletter, uh, which you can see on fightfulboxing.com that I lost track of time. That <laughs> if you if you watch the Floyd Mayweather Conor McGregor press conference and you've seen all the vulgarities and you saw all the trash talking, this is what we got with Anthony for the Drum Miller, except it missed on every single mark imaginable on the YouTube stream. Because and I don't know why this was only on the YouTube stream because I saw it on the because I was also watching the Periscope stream and it was working somewhat fine. But mm-hmm. on the YouTube stream, there the quality of the camera because I guess they restarted it or were using uh, the cameras used to record VHS tape from 1984. That and you can see this on my Twitter at Call Story 360 that the camera was just really, really bad. I don't know who they were trying to go for something vintage to promote this fight, but it was bad. <laughs> the sound quality was awful. And when the two fighters actually got into the ring, Miller gets gonna shove Anthony Joshua, force like like ten people, including Hearn, trying to separate the two, almost fails. It took them like five, five close to ten minutes for both sides to be actually fully separated. And then Eddie Hearn said, yeah, yeah, no, 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 I, I'm not risking any, any more confrontations. Everyone stays in their seats. Everyone's in timeout. No one gets to speak on the podium except for me. So what we got was 40 minutes of vulgarity, sexual innuendos, Jerome Miller and Anthony Joshua pulling your mom, you, your mom jokes. 
Joe Miller talking about working at Dunkin' Donuts and eating cheeseburgers and being proud of being over 300 pounds. It was so bad. And I wanted this press conference to be good. This was your first impression to a lot of people. And that first impression is, this is a shit show. Uh, now, now you have Excuse to ask my language, you, by the way. Excuse my language. You have to ask yourself a question now, though. Serious. Now, camera quality aside, did you really expect anything different when you get Big Baby Miller, a world title press conference? This was this was always going to happen, man. The, I mean, I remember, do you remember when they announced the design thing? He couldn't even resist your mama jokes then, dude. He, was, he wasn't even fighting Joshua. This is his thing. This is, like, look, I think Big Baby's a legit heavyweight contender. Like, I'm not part of the sort of, you know, he's just all talk. I think he's legit. Dangerous guy, but... I, I agree, too. He's got this fight because, you know, this is his personality. He's he's raw. That's the best way I put it. He's raw. Super raw. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, the thing about me, and listen, I don't buy into the fact that, like, ah, he's unhealthy. He's over 300 pounds. Look at him. But it's like... You tell me to look at him. I what I see is a three hundred pound barrel who knows how to knock people out, but has not really faced anyone of note. I mean, his last fights were Thomas Adamick, Bogdan, uh, Bogdan Dinu. It's like well, I think it's really oh. interesting about Big Baby Miller. Like, and we can talk about the press conference more, but like just talking about him as a fighter, which really interests me is so he so he weighs in like consistently at 300 pounds and over, yeah? But you actually watch him fight when he's fought the better competition he's fought, which isn't, like, elite, but, you know, like, he's sort of solid guys, fringe world-level guys. His best traits to me are, like, his punch output. He can punch in combination. He's fought pretty good pace into, like, the 11th, 12th round. His power is, like, not, like, mind-blowing for a guy of his size. So, to me, this fight is super simple. If his chin is as good as it's looked at this competition level, he'll give Joshua a really interesting fight because he's so big. But if he isn't so good, Joshua will be able to just, like, he'll just stand in front of Joshua and it'll be easy work. But it's, to me, this fight hinges on that one solo question. What is Miller's punch resistance like? Simple as that. Yeah, and not to mention the fact that, like, while he is massive and really big, you look at his footwork, you can let, you look at his athleticism, it's yeah. really, really good. I think people keep forgetting the fact that he was a kickboxer and a really good one at that. His his losses, his only loss were to freaking Mirko Krokop. And it's, you know... Mirko's still doing it. <laughs> he's still yeah. rolling, man. Yeah, it is like, oh, like, oh, he's a kickboxer. I mean, well, what has he done? Oh, you know, he he just won dozens of fights, and his only losses is to legendary names such as Mirko Krokop. I think he's a lot more athletic than what people give him credit for. I like this fight. I like Joel Miller. I don't know about his attitude. Like, I think he, I think he overdoes it a little bit. Oh, you know, that is now that that it gets really awkward, just like the press conference, but. You know, the, and, and it looks like Joe Miller's the type of guy that can take a punch. So it's what I look is Joshua versus Miller. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Or similar to the way I see Joshua versus Pavekin, only that Miller's smaller, but he's younger, more athletic, and can hit just as hard. And the question yeah. was, you know, th- what happened in, in the Pavekin fight was that Joshua eventually managed to figure out Pavekin and knock him down. 
And it's going to be a similar story where we're going to find out if Miller can handle Joshua's power because he has not faced anyone exactly. like yeah. Joshua. Yeah. yeah, I think um, offensively, he's probably more limited than a lot of the guys Joshua's fought recently purely because he, like, gets himself into range and just bullies people. Like, it's pure output. pure, And they just can't cope with his pace, which is a crazy thing for Fernando Pandu. But again... If you watch like Joshua's fights, he struggles most when he's been forced to go backwards. That's just simple based on everything we've seen. When he's forced to go backwards, it's his hardest fights. Well, Miller's going to walk forward. So again, it simply will be when Joshua throws his power punches, can Miller keep walking forward? And if he can, we've got a, a seriously good fight. A seriously good fight, I think, anyway. Now, the question for this fight, obviously, when it comes to the fight, obviously, the fight is, you know, the fight's going to be what it's going to be. But the question yeah. now over here in the States is whether or not Joshua can be the type of guy that will attract the zone subscribers and can sell out Madison Square Garden. Now, according to them, according to Match from Boxing, the pre-sale ticket sales for the event has like highest grossing for a boxing event in Madison Square Garden history, which, you know, I guess... It's good, but, you know, that, that's somewhat of a blanket statement because you can sort of twist it around in a way to make yourself seem good. I've not seen what the ticket sales, what the general ticket sales have gone. Mm. Obviously, it's no, you know, it's, it hasn't sold out yet. Otherwise, we would have found out about it right now. And the ticket sales, uh, the ticket prices range from, like, 106 to, like, 1,200-something and maybe a little more, but... The, the one thing that I'm worried about is that the ticket sales don't end up being as good as projected. And what we see is Joshua essentially just being another heavyweight who just happens to own a couple of belts. Because over here in the U.S., the thing about Joshua is like the opinion amongst boxing fans, the opinion between uh, regarding Joshua has always been kind of like lukewarm at best, where it's like, listen, yeah, he's, he's a really good heavyweight, but, you know, that's it. You know, he's fighting on Showtime on Saturday afternoons. He's fighting on the zone. You know, doesn't really do anything for me. And at worst, the opinion of him is almost non-existent. It's like, not fighting in America. He's not fighting Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury. So what do I, what do I care about him? So well, I, I think that um, and I think this is smart on Hearn's part. As a personality, Joshua is not going to walk into the United States and win people over as this super charismatic dude. That's just not going to happen. It's simply not going to happen. Hearn admitted um, like a week ago or so, he, he said basically, I overpaid Miller to take this fight, which to me says Big Baby Miller is the attraction going into this fight, meaning I think the intention is to get casual American sports fans to see Big Baby Miller talking about fighting for the world title in New York City and use him to channel people to watch Anthony Joshua. And then Hearn's idea is once the bell rings, Joshua will show that he's the real number one heavyweight. You see what I'm saying? Like the key to this is convincing the public that Big Baby is worth watching in the first place. If they just pulled someone else over, people don't care anyway. But I think that's to me, that's why Miller's there because he can sort of funnel new fans in. But also. Yeah, but the problem here is that Miller's not really a name here oh, in the no, United yeah. States. He's not, I mean, he, he's not, in terms of, like, if you look at the fighters from New York who, you know, and you sort of rank them and how how much of a big draw they are, Miller's not at the top. He's oh, not yeah. number two, number three. And, you know, he's hasn't really had much of an sh- uh, opportunity to shine. Like, aside from the, the zone appearances, which, by the way, you know, headlining a, a the zone card against Botan and Dinu in no. Kansas. That's not going to. That's not going what, to. What I mean is, he, he's far from a star. Like, I'd imagine Joshua and him are like similar name value in the states. Like not, they're not really things, are they? But what I'm saying I would, is, I, I would say Joshua's a little bigger. I would yeah. say Joshua's a little bigger just what, because what I mean of, is, how, like, of his if, accomplishments. If you um, if you could choose between one of them. So have one interview that will sell the general sports fan on a heavyweight title fight. Big Baby's probably your guy, right? That's what I'm saying. Like, if you can get him in the right places, whether it's sports panel shows, whatever it may be, I think you've got more chance of convincing the American fan to check out his heavyweight title than if you just send Joshua over, who's, like, you know, he is what he is a personality. He's not super flashy. He is what he is. 
you can't just sell him on being the number one heavyweight because American fans don't see him as that way because they've just watched heavyweight title fight. You need something else. I don't know. We'll see how it does. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, well, hopefully Joshua puts out a good performance, and this gives American fans uh, incentive to pay attention to Joshua, which in turn will make the potential fight between Joshua Wilder or Joshua Fury even that's the intention, even, right? even bigger, yeah. even make it an even bigger event than what it currently would be. But yeah. I, I don't know. It's it really gonna depends on how that the zone subscriptions are going to look like, because that kind of tells you how much people are interested in tr- going out of their way that's to the watch that's exactly the fight. It, yeah. yeah, that's exactly it. You're, if yeah. you get a ton of subscriptions, it means you've done a good job of making people actually care enough to go and download this app. Well, even if it's free, it doesn't matter. For a free trial thing, it doesn't matter. They're still having to go download something. So you have to do a good job, you know? Yeah, I mean, and hey, when it comes to getting people excited to watch uh, a Brit fight, fight in a world title bout, ESPN is going to have a tough time trying to get Anthony, uh, trying to sell Vasily Lomachenko versus Anthony Krola. Now, question, is it Kroja or Krola? Because I always get, get it confused. Yeah, it's, it's, it's even simpler than that. It's just Krola. Crawler. Crawler. Okay, because I had someone that someone tell me it's like it's not it's not Crawler. It's like well, listen, I'm Hispanic, I'm Latino, and when I see the double L's, that's uh that's kind of like the the Y sound. So I no. said out of base instincts of 18 years of being in the Puerto Rican school system. So that's not on me. I blame Puerto Rico for that one. <laughs> But Vasily Lomachenko we, versus Anthony Krola, we knew this was going to happen the moment we found out that Richard Comey, the new IBF lightweight champion, was going to be out and not fighting Lomachenko on April 12th. And ESPN ha- had every intent on keeping Lomachenko on April 12th at the Staples Center in Los Angeles and now will defend his WBA and WBO lightweight titles against Krola, who is the mandatory challenger for the WBA title. So I'm seeing so much hate over the matchup itself. And it just kind of, I don't like, I don't love the matchup per se, but I think it's a good fight. I think Krola's not going to be a guy that's going to show up to pick up a paycheck. I think people forget that Krola was the former, was a former WBA world champion. And his two losses were to Jorge Linares, who before Lomachenko beat, was to some people the best lightweight in the world. So I think this matchup is good. It's just to, to the cynical American fans who is not who are always impatient, they will criticize the fight, but I have no problem with it because it is a necessary evil to have mandatory challengers and Krull is a mandatory challenger and for the long run and for the long run with getting you more unification bouts made, it gonna it's gonna make Lomachenko's life so much easier just to get rid of the eliminate <clears throat> mandatory challenger out of the way. Um, you've you've sold me on it being a better fight than I thought it was. You're you're right. You are right. You make good points. I think the problem is is boxing has so many world champions, right? But we all agree that there's about five, maybe, maybe not even that, elite-level fighters, right? And you just said impatience, and that's really what this is. It's, it's very simple. Like, Lomachenko's special. We all agree on that. And then there's Anthony Crawler, who's just – he's a good, a very solid world-level – you would say world-level fighter. Um, it's, it's a strange fight in the sense of stylistically there's not much of a hook to it. Because Anthony Crawler is not like a puncher, right? Like he's just a good, solid fighter. So it's very, it's very tough to kind of sell it. Like earlier on, when you said, um, you said world class fighters fighting against matchroom fighters, I was certain he was going to this one, dude. <laughs> I was really, I was really to say this is the definition of a true world class superstar fighter against a solid fighter. And Anthony Crawler is so. The one thing you would say that's true is he's definitely not there just to like turn up, take some cash, and sit on his stool. And if that happens, I'll be stunned. Andy Crawler's a tough guy who gives his everything. The problem is he's just very outmatched technically, you know? Yeah, I mean, technically, I think we, it, we've we seen this in the Jose Pedraza fight and the Jorge Linares fight. I mean, Lomachenko is 
you know, in my opinion, the best pound for pound boxer in the world. And I don't think Krola is going to beat him. I could be, you know, we could all be surprised and Krola could make the, one of the biggest upsets in, in boxing. In, you know, like, <laughs> upsets, but I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility, but I'm just saying a lot, but I'm just saying everyone is already looking past Krola to the eventual Richard Comey fight for, for three of the four belts. And hell, they're looking past that fight for the eventual Mikey Garcia WBC lightweight title vacancy. Teofimo Lopez winning that winning that vacant title, and then Lomachenko Lopez. They're looking. There are people already looking that far ahead, and. Quite frankly, I think that is kind of the fight to make because, and listen, I have no problem with the Crawl fight. It's a solid fight. You look at the lightweight division. Who is there to fight Lomachenko yeah. right now? Like, Mikey Garcia is fighting Errol Spence. Robert Easter Jr., who's a former world champion, he's supposedly fighting Rancis Barthelemy in a couple of months for this supposed new WBA regular lightweight title belt, which has, that kind of news is not really hit the state, but a Cuban newspaper uh, has said that it that it's going to happen. And, and really, I... And I believe that they reportedly wrote this, and th these people are usually on the money when it comes to the, uh, the these world title fights involving Cuban fighters. Oh. They they were the ones who got who got the scoop of Eddie Landilada versus Brian Castaño like weeks before Showtime officially announced that. So so if and I would not be surprised if WBA decided, eh, yeah, yeah, let's make a let's make a a fight, let's make a, a secondary title, even though there's no need to. So no Robert Easter Jr., no Mikey Garcia, no Richard Comey, Delfimo Lopez. I, he wants that fight, but it's not it's it's not re it's not time for to make that no. fight. We're we're less than two months away. That's not the time uh, type of fight. Like Bob Arum sees money in Delfimo Lopez. He's not going to waste that with a six week build. And in Delfimo Lopez could potentially be a megastar at this no, point. So so why not wait and have Lopez potentially fight for a potential vacant WBC title, have Lomachenko pick up the IBF title by beating Richard Gomez and then making an undisputed lightweight title bout for 2020 on pay-per-view. And that could be good on pay-per-view because we've, we've seen how much people pay attention Delfimo Lopez breathes whenever he fights. He is at such an incredible level that every time we think he's fighting a guy that's going to push him to his limits or going to test him, Lopez just completely obliterates him. And that's the kind of excitement we want in an opponent for Vasily Lomachenko. And unfortunately for U.S. fans, they don't see that in Anthony Lee. Anthony well, I think in fairness, though, man, like, I, don't, I mean, I don't know, I could be wrong, but from what I've seen, it's not dissimilar on our side. Like, I, the British fans are kind of weird. You probably realise this, you probably gauge this from, like, there's, like, you watch the shows and there's, like, real excitement and optimism in the arenas, but the fans that actually discuss boxing, like, online at all are the, are the absolute most pessimistic people. So there's probably more negativity from British fans about this fight. You know, like, there's no... If you base your opinions on what British fans say, there's no British world-class fighters. So... You've so I think he's fine. Fire, he's fine. He's not a big. I mean, Andy Collins, he's won a world title before. He's solid. You know, like what are you going to do, man? You, not every fight's going to be a super fight. That's basically the conclusion of it. Not every fight's a super fight. Yeah, I mean, I, I like this fight. It's not bad. It's going to be on ESPN Plus, April twelfth to April seventh. It's going to be an inoffensive fight, yeah. and, and it could be a good fight. I, I think it'll be a good fight. I think Lomachenko will win a a fairly wide. 12th round decision because I don't think Kroll is gonna gonna allow himself to get knocked out by Lomachenko. Lomachenko doesn't have exactly tremendous power. He just has the ability to pepper you with so many shots and, and hit you with incredible speed that it kind of forces you to give up. But I think Krola is a tougher fighter tougher. Than, than, than what people are giving him credit for. Mm -hmm. So okay. now this weekend is a somewhat busy weekend in boxing. I mean, we have three boxing cards, one in the U.S., one in in the U.K., and I'm trying to forget, 
Actually, no, one in Mexico, one in Mexico. So we got boxing cards all over. But I think the biggest one by far is the one over there in the UK at the O2 Arena this Saturday. James DeGale versus Chris Eubank Jr. for the IBO Super Middleweight title. A title that within five days of the fight having place, no one will have an earthly idea who the IBO champion is and what the hell the IBO champion even is. So let's discard that title right here and then because I don't think even James DeGale even cares for that title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the fight, the story is the actual fight itself and how, kind of how both fighters are at a crossroads in their career. James DeGale was willing to give up his IBF world title just so he can have a good fight, a somewhat fairly big fight in the UK instead of facing Jose Uskatagi. And overall, I, I like this fight. And you got Chris Eubank with his whole... He's still in need of a big win, of an actual win. He is he's still unproven to a certain extent, and it's the first and it's the first PVC card in the UK uh, as a part of this PVC ITV deal. Mm-hmm. And and I'm, I'm curious to see how what's been sort of the reaction of not just the fight itself, but sort of that whole ITV deal in the UK, because over here in the US, in the United States. No one gives a crap because this has nothing to do with the U.S., but I'm curious to see how fans in the in the U.K. are sort of taking this ITV deal. Um, it's, it's bizarre, to be honest with you, because it's on ITV. This fight is not the case. I'm talking about like purely what we've seen so far. Okay, So it's not – it almost feels hidden away on like – it's on ITV4 often, the American shows. So like Pacquiao Broner took place – and like there was no promotion, obviously, because they know it's not going to do big viewership regardless of how they promote it. So it's sort of just hidden. Now, this Saturday is unique because um, it's promoted tremendously because it's on like every ITV news show. And that's a big deal. You know, that's a whole different audience that doesn't watch boxing. But the problem is it's on pay-per-view. At the, at the end of the day, as soon as it goes on pay-per-view, you've, cut, you've limited your audience, right? That's just the way it is. That's accepted. That's part of it. Um, there was a lot of frustration when it was announced as a pay-per-view fight. I mean, that's fair, probably, to be in truth. Um, but it's a good fight, right? Like, it, I think everyone's interested in fights where we all accept the loser is basically finished at this level. I mean, in truth, I think they're finished career-wise. Both of them will probably bow out if they lose. Uh, so it's a good fight. Stylistically, it's fascinating. I mean, we spoke, like, two days ago off-air, and I've changed my mind, like, multiple times since then. So it's an interesting fight. I don't know. Like, what way are you leaning, actually, once the bell rings, who are you feeling in the fight? I, I think I'm going to stick with Degale, although I'm not going to lie. The last 24 hours, and I don't know if maybe my allerg- my deaf allergies have messed up my brain, but I, I've been trying to talk myself into believing Chris Eubank Jr. is going to win the fight. I know he can win the fight, but I'm just trying to think. It's like one would think ah, he's overdue for a big win, but then I'm kind of looking at online thinking it's like in some regards, Eubank Jr. is to the UK what Adrian Broner is over here in the US, albeit I don't agree with that. I can understand why yeah. the perils are being drowned, but here's the thing. Adrian Broner's actually won stuff. He may not have like the signature victory, but he's actually won titles. Yeah, that it's, not isn't, really fair. it's not really fair on Broner. That really, it's is not. It? It's not fair on Broner, which is kind of a weird thing to say. <laughs> that it's not fair on Broner. First of all, it's very weird to say. But but here's the thing. I mean, listen, and I've said, and we've spoken about this on the air, uh, off the air, I should say. Chris Eubank Jr. has all the physical attributes in the world needed to become a champion. I, he, but, it's, but the problem is, he's never really honed in on the boxing ability. The physical side of the sport has never been an issue with him. It's always been boxing ability, fundamentals, and trying to outbox some of these better fighters, which is why he hasn't beaten the Billy Joe Saunders and the George Groves of the world, because those fighters carry something beyond their physical gifts. The physical gifts have pretty much carried Chris Eubank Jr. to his career up to this point. And his best wins are Ofni Yildirim and, and, and Arthur Abraham. So those are nice wins, but they're not but they're not the type of wins that you kind of look at a fighter's career at the end of the same and think, you know what, this was a career that that's going to be remembered for years and years. 
your main career might be remembered for years and years, but not necessarily for the right reasons. I um, there was two things that happened just today. Like you know, when you watch like the pre-fight stuff and all that comes with it. So Dennis Duglin, uh, um, the super middleweight, he's like live right now. Dennis Duglin, Mama's boy. So he sparred Eubank for this fight, right? And on the pre-fight stuff on ITV, he's like talking up Eubank, which makes sense. He's his sparring partner. I saw him today saying. I think the girl's going to win this fight because while I like Chris, there was stuff inspiring he couldn't deal with. Like, that's a great, like, you know this better than me, man. You covered this ball. Like, sparring partners outright saying that the other guy is going to win is not a good sign. <laughs> that's the first thing. The second thing was Chris Eubank Sr. was like, um, he said, I'm not convinced my son's going to win this fight. He said, Technically, I know he's good enough to win this fight. Athletically, I know he's going to win. But he seems to think, and we, we spoke this the other day, but um, I believe this, and it seems like he does too. There's there's a mental glitch there with Eubank. And I agree with you, man. Like, it could just be he's not there technically. That totally could be it, 100%. But when you see a guy fight someone like George Groves with total desperation in round two and three, it shows a certain lack of, like, poise that to me is more than just skill, you know, like that's, so to me, this fight's two stories on a, on opposing side of the ring. So is Eubank just not that good skillfully or is there a mental thing he needs to overcome? And on the other side, obviously, which everyone's talked about, like it's the most over-discussed topic. What's changed the guy got left? Like you said the other day to me, and I agree with you, man, like perhaps that Caleb Truex fight, he just rushed back. That was a tough style matchup because he's a tough guy. He's not even a go away. Or did them like five, 12 round fights? Did they just wear him down? We'll, we'll probably find out on Saturday. I'm leaning. I don't know. Uh, I feel Degal is going to fade late and Eubank's going to win those late rounds. The question is does he make it to the final bell to win a decision or not? I'm going to say he doesn't. I'm going to take Eubank late. I think. I think really? A, I am, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I'm going to say Degal. And I do agree with you, and I think you bring up a really good point that I, DeGale could potentially fade late mm. into the fight. And and I said those physical attributes carry a guy like Eubank to the, to the wins that he's had, to the career he's had up to this point. That kind of physical gift will keep Eubank busy in the, in the final rounds. Now my question is going to be, can the Gale avoid getting knocked down? Because I think this fight is going to go to the scorecards. The question is not whether or not the Gale is going to fade late, because I think he will, is whether or not he can avoid getting knocked down and lose on the scorecards via that matter. I think the Gale is going to just barely avoid getting knocked down, and I think he's going to win a fairly close unanimous decision, maybe a split decision. I think he's going to win, but I, I, you do bring up a really good point. You yeah, bang, think, you we, we see the same good. fight, right? Like, we see the same exact fight. It's really just a matter of which finish you see it having. It's, it's bizarre in the sense of it's a rare 50-50 fight where I feel like every fan agrees on exactly how it's going to play out. It's simply how the last final portion will play out. We'll find out. It's a, it's a good fight. I like it. Yeah, also on the undercard, you got Joe Joyce versus Bermain Stavern for what appears to be the WBA gold title, whatever the hell that means, and it is supposedly a title eliminator where the winner could get an eventual shot at the WBA regular heavyweight title being held by Manuel Char, whatever the hell that means, and let's and look, Joe Joyce is the big heavyweight prospect, already here in the States, a lot of people are starting to buy into Joe Joyce. Partially it's because he's been fighting in America. He's being promoted by Richard Schaefer. He's being trained by Abel Sanchez. A lot of people are really high up on Joe Joyce. And when you look at Bernie Stavern, who at this point, 14 months ago, was essentially being you know, thrashed around for three minutes in a fight that he had no business of being in the first place and was knocked down in such a horrendous way that Fightful.com managing editor Sean Ross App texted me after the fight. That was the mo- one of the most horrifying things I have ever seen. That's facts. So... <laughs> so it's hard to say Permain Stavern, who, hasn't, who, by the way, hasn't fought since that Wilder loss. 
the second Wilder loss, I should I should say. He hasn't fought since then. I, there's not not much analysts. I think we all know Joe Joyce is going to knock him out, and Joe Joyce is going to put himself in position to get a secondary heavyweight world title opportunity. And I think he's going to be Manuel Char. I don't think that's you know really a a tough fight to decide. I think uh, uh, Joe is going to knock Bermain Stavern fairly early. I'm going to say like a super strange contradiction here, and like you have to just hear this out. I believe in Joe Joyce totally. Like, legitimately, every heavyweight in the world, I think he gives them tough work. Every heavyweight. Like, he's so strong and his style is so unique. I mean, he just walks through guys. But that last phrase I just used, walks through guys, doesn't really add up at the heavyweight division. So what I'm going to say is, everything in my brain tells me Joe Joyce is going to win this fight in two rounds. But... There is a certain vulnerability to the way he fights. That's all I would say. Like, if you watch him, no matter who he fights, there's a certain stiffness to the way he comes forward that you do think, Bermain's no can punch, if nothing else, right? Like, he's a big guy and he can punch. So I think, the, I think it's going to be exciting for about four minutes and then Joe Joyce will finish it. I mean, there was a fight he had with, um, oh, I doubt it was the Commonwealth title. I forget the guy he fought, but he, like, it was terrifying the way Joe Joyce walked through this guy. I mean, he's a dangerous guy, and his fitness is nuts. So I hope um, Joyce can get added to this. No, it was, um, that was another violent one. But oh, no, no, guy, no, Lenroy Thomas. Lenroy Thomas. Lenroy, Lenroy yeah, that Thomas. was it. The guy with Dave Allen, yeah. I couldn't – but that was, yeah. like – that was eye-opening, like how, like how easily he just walked through him. So – to me, like everyone agrees, heavyweight's kind of back now. Like, there's a lot of there's some kind of interesting pieces. I think Joe Joyce can be one of the most interesting, but I'm just putting an asterisk. Now. I don't want to come across crazy high on him because I will make it clear that it would not surprise me if Mainstream just like somehow clips him early on. We'll see. I'm, I think it's a fine fight, right? Joe Joyce is still only early in his career. He's an older guy, but he's still early on. Yeah, he is still early, and you know, rankings wise, I think he's ranked a little too high for at the point that he is right now. But overall, I think Joe Joyce is gonna win. Now that fight plus the DeGale Eubank fight, they're gonna be on Showtime. And one fight that I'm really interested in and will not have an opportunity to watch, at least through regular means, wink wink, here in the United States is Lee Selby. He's going to fight Omar Douglas. It's going to be Lee Selby's lightweight debut, which is interesting considering that his last fight against Josh Warrington less than a year ago, it was uh, it was at featherweight. So he's moving up two weight classes for this fight. And I think that's a really... I, I like this fight in the sense that we will have an idea of what, how... Lee Selby's going to look like at, at lightweight. Now, a win over Omar Douglas, no indication of whether or not he's a title challenger and he's, he's going to become a world champion, 135 pounds. But I think it'll be a good first test to see where Lee Selby stands right now. I, I'm interested, like, just generally excited to see Lee Selby fight a weight class where he deems himself healthy, right? Like, when Lee Selby was climbing the ranks, probably five years ago now, it's, it's been a while, man, like, he was one of the most exciting fighters to watch in the sense that he was just smooth, you know, like a really slick uh, contender. And when he first became world champion, I remember people thinking like, wow, this guy could run a division. Like he's a really talented guy. But then as things went on, he was kind of inactive. He couldn't really get rolling. And I think it's tough to watch a fighter with every fight, the pre-fight talk is how was the weight cut? That's tough, man. Like, and against um, Warrenham, he just looked like a guy who couldn't get off. Like, he looked like a guy who was weakened. Now, again, like, that may just be the reality of the fact he's older now than he was then. He's not an old guy, but this is the way it works, right? Guy can just just fade slightly. So, um, Warrington's a legit good fighter as well, so I shouldn't, like, just put it down to whatever's wrong with Selby. But I'm excited to see him at weight class where he feels happy and he feels confident because when he's on, he's a tremendous fighter, really good fighter. Yeah, I agree. And uh, listen, and I think, and I like this card. I, I don't know if it's, I, I was called as pay-per-view worth it, but I think I do like this card. And, and listen, you know, this is an, an interesting experiment PBC is doing with ITV. And I, I'm really hoping that it does lead to interesting cards like this, because I think it, it they are good cards. Yeah. But, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily call them pay-per-view worthy. I'm much more comfortable watching them on Showtime. Yeah, I, I think one thing I would say is a shame, and I know it's probably after you got blood. If this fight card was on just gen- like general ITV, TV, like just television, 
the viewership numbers will be like incredible. Man. Like it's a sh- I know it's hard financially; they need to make up the money, but it's a shame that we're away from them days of boxing. It feels, you know, like it feels like um, it could be great for these guys. Like Joe Joyce fighting on just normal television that anyone could watch would be a big deal for him. But everything's pay per view, I guess. That's the way, it is, isn't it? All right. Think about. I think that's about enough for this edition of the Fightful Boxing Podcast. We had so much to talk about. Joe, thank you so much for being a, a part of this. I really had a lot of fun. I'm, I'm happy that I can do 40, 50 minutes, 60 minute podcast where when I get someone to talk to. So thank you so much, Joe. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. It was good. As soon as you hit me up, I was, I was happy to do it because, look, if you like boxing, you love talking boxing, right? So, like, it's, it's easy, easy gig. I enjoyed it, man. Thank you. All right, uh, Joe, where can we find you on social media? Well, you shouldn't find me on social media, but if you really, really want to, uh, Joe Holbert 5, nice no, the number 5. So, yeah, that's that's Twitter. And just know, man, you're going to regret it. But you might, you might just want to try it, but just, just come with caution. That's what I say, come with caution. <laughs> All right, uh, check out his amazing work over there at Fightful. He posts regular features, and, and he does tremendous work over there, whether it be on the boxing or on the pro wrestling side. I highly do encourage all of you to check out Joel Holbert's work. You can find me on Twitter at Colster360. You can check out Fightful.com for all the latest news regarding pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing. Leave us a thumbs up here. Subscribe to our new Fightful MMA and Boxing YouTube channel. Head on over to our Fightful Pro Wrestling channel for all the latest news regarding pro wrestling and fight and raw recaps smackdown recaps listen to your boy featuring sean ross app and fightful owner jimmy van lots of content we provide here at fightful thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of the fightful boxing podcast carl stora and joe holbert signing out say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill